My next Omi goes by many names, but my fave is Mr. Melvin. He's an emotional literacy youth yoga wellness educator working with children of all ages in Los Angeles County and a spoken word artist. In this Matt chat, we discuss the importance of emotional intelligence and the tools we use to help children cope through their full range of feelings. I hope you enjoy. So I'll get things started with our first question. What started you on your journey to yoga? Well, it was about 1996. I had just moved to Los Angeles and I was taking a boxing class at a place called Hollywood Boxing Gym. And I had learned about yoga, like probably about 1990 from this book called Autobiography of a Yogi. And I was okay. like, oh, no, what's that energy about? But I never really thought about it again. So I was taking my boxing class and I met this small little Australian woman named Deborah, And she was like, you should come take yoga after boxing. And I was like, nah, that's not for me. <laughs> so um, I had hurt my shoulder. I had hurt my shoulder and went to the doctor. And he's like, you should try yoga to heal it up. And I was like, well, no, that's that white foo-foo stuff. Why would I do that? And he's like, well, first of all, it's not white. And second of all, it can help with the physical and the mental. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I ain't got no emotional issues. Of course, we all do. So I took Deborah up on her um, invite and I went to her class and it, it was cool. But then she put us in pigeon pose, you know, the physical pose, pigeon pose <laughs> in there. And she was like, you know, focus on your breathing. And all next thing I knew, I'm crying like a baby. <laughs> right. Like, man. There, man. Right. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay, this kind of reminds me of my poetry because I had started writing poetry when I was 14. Um, I was in this therapy program for called In the Middle for children that were going, their parents were divorcing, right? Okay. And that's where I learned to become a poet and learn to write. And the same feeling that I got in Pigeon Pose was the same feeling when I wrote a poem. Wow got that energy out of my system. So I was like, man, let me start practicing this. So I was just doing it, you know, for my own, my own well-being. But, but at the same time, I had, I worked um, for this place called LA Bridges. It was a gang prevention mm-hmm. and intervention in Los Angeles. And it was an after school program. It was a mentoring program called See a Man, Be a Man. So a lot of my children, you know, they lived in kind of real intense environments, um, I was working there and I would give, you know, the students some of the yoga and they're like, oh, that's foo-foo, just like I thought. And then one day I was working at this place called Operation Read and it was for uh, young adults that had got, had been incarcerated and it was between 17 and 18, but they read at a second or third grade reading level. So one day, you know, they were really kind of all over the place behavior-wise. I was like, man, let me give them some of this yoga, some of this reading. And they weren't really doing it. And then this one student came in and they had respect for him, obviously, because when he walked in, their whole posture changed. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, man, you need to listen to this corny dude because I got out of juvie six months early because they had a yoga program. Wow. So that's when I had my aha moment. Like, wait a minute. If they're giving this to our babies when they're incarcerated, why don't we get it to them to try to avoid them being incarcerated? Yeah. So that was when I was like, okay. Let me just start learning about youth yoga. And um, I had trained. I had already always worked with youth for about 20 years. So I already had that that connection of how to, you know, get them to write. And now, okay, how can I get this connection to get them to breathe and get them to move? I had a really great kundalini training uh, with a woman, Krishna Kaur. 
Um, I had practiced Kundalini with her for a while, but I did a teacher training with her just to kind of really find out how different it was from teaching adults. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into yoga personally and then got into teaching wise. There's a couple of things that I want to pull out of there. First, I really love that your, your first experience on the mat and how you equated that to your creative writing experience. That was really powerful. I've never, like, that's the first time I've heard someone describe their first, I mean, you know, yoga is such a personal practice. Right. But, um, that's really beautiful, that link between your art and the physical movement of your body and what that healing practice felt like for you. Yeah, yeah, you know, just that connection of, of, of really our body tells a story, you know, and it hold, well, not only tells a story, but it holds a story. Yes. And then that story can be held in such a way that it starts to contort the physical body, starts to contort the way we think. And even learning when the word posture, like, I didn't even know if that word really just meant attitude. But back in the day, we called people posers. I mean, right. you a poser because they were posing. They had a fake attitude, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what and that was my concept of when I created, um, you know, the thing I do spoken yoga was like we're speaking a language when we breathe. We're speaking a language when we walk. You know, we're speaking a language when we move. And um, yeah, it's, it's poetry, you know. Corny to say, but it's poetry in motion, right? Oh, very accurate. It's accurate, man. Yeah. I love that. And then you started touching on it a little bit, um, but I know you have an extensive background with working with young people in the Los Angeles area. Has, is it 20 years now? More than 20 years. Yeah, well, you know, my first taste was, it was real crazy because right now um, the word cultural response of education is a really you know, it's a really big word, mm-hmm. you know, in, in education, elementary education. But when I was working on my master's in sociology, there was this course called Career Choice. And I had my grant through a program called Collegiate Opportunity Admission Program. And it was for black and brown children who were first generation college. Okay. And, and then um, they didn't score that well on their ACT or SAT. So. Uh, my advisor, her name was Jewel, <laughs> Jewel Gray. I know, right? Jewel Gray. And she's like, listen, she called me in her office. She's like, listen, I got this class and um, you're really not supposed to be teaching, teaching, but they need to see you. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, I could teach it, but you know, I'm a white woman. They're first generation college. They need to see themselves. Yeah. You- so she was talking that cultural responsive education back before it became a word, you know, so I got this great opportunity to work with these youth and I realized right away, it was just about giving them little nuggets. Most of them didn't make it back second semester because that first semester of college is tough anyway. It's then, so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. If you don't have anybody to tell you what it's like. Right. Like I mean, first. even especially, and not to cut you off, but like if you have that full on campus experience, like you're leaving your home for the first time, likely moving someplace completely different living with a roommate likely and then having to like have the full responsibility of you managing your class schedule and navigating all of that. Like it can, it can be a lot. And if you're grateful enough that you're one of the students that don't have to work while you're in school, that's one thing. But I know for me, I had to work full time while I was in college. So it's a lot for these young people to handle. And I think we don't give them enough credit and sometimes don't really prepare them well enough for what the experience of, college and university can really be like 
No, you're right. And so that, that program, it was amazing on one hand in theory, but it was nothing that I could give them. What could I give them in a pass fail class that was only, you know, a semester mm-hmm. versus everything they had had from birth to 18. Right. Yeah. And I realized what that thing was, was, was awareness of self. Yes. You know, it was awareness of self because, you know, it was almost like they were NBA athletes, you know, first generation. It was so much celebration with them being there that yeah. it became a fairy tale. And the, it was like, okay, now it's time to get to real work. And so that was my first taste of education. I was like, oh, I love this. And then I came out here in 96 and I met a woman um, named Wendy Raquel Robinson. Yes. And, you know, yeah, the, the amazing. <laughs> For those that want to be disrespectful and not call her by her full name oh, or real yeah. name. Well, <laughs> right, right. Well, I think, you know, she she celebrates Tasha Mack, though. And I mean, they're coming back. So, you know, that Tasha Mack is back. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. It's um, iconic so, for her, but I mean, she's yeah, been in yeah, amazing yeah. roles. <laughs> but, and, and everybody, you know, has their own purpose and mission, but if there were, and I always tell her this, and, you know, she's like, whatever, stop it, stop it. But if there were just five Wendy's out of all of the um, people that have been blessed to have success of color in the entertainment business, and many of them do great things. They do amazing things, but Wendy just, you know, she told me her mission in 96 and I was like, I'm down. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just tell me where to be. You tell me what to do. And for the next 25 years, this summer was the first summer in 25 years that I didn't work with her. Oh, wow. Only because, you know, my, my business had, had grew to a situation where, um, I I, I couldn't be there because I had to be somewhere else. So you're talking about me being dedicated to her vision for 25 years straight at Amazing Grace Conservatory, uh, right on Washington and Wilton. And what she does in the community and is just incredible. And, you know, it doesn't take the stardom or anything, but the fact that she's able to just provide this opportunity for our black youth. Yes. You know, theater. And I was with her for the first 15 years with spoken word poetry. Mm-hmm. And then when I was trained in the yoga, I was like, listen, this is major, you know, our babies need to learn how to just not manage anger. Because that's the only thing we celebrate when we talk about management of emotion. Right. You know, never talk about managing joy. And we never talk about managing fear. Right. About managing sadness. So it's like giving someone a job. I, I've worked at McDonald's. That's like teaching me how to manage the fries and the quarter pounders. But when my manager leaves, nobody told me how to manage the shake station. You got to cross training. <laughs> right, right. Now I come back and say, well, I managed those two good, but I didn't spill all this stuff over because I couldn't manage that, you know. So I just, that's, that's really my mission now. And it's just, and especially working at Amazing Grace, because I always joke, you know, at least 12% of my class makes more money than me. You know, because a lot of the young kids are on TV, you know. Oh, okay. okay, gotcha. <laughs> right, oh, right. Okay. right, right. You wouldn't have that in any other discipline, right? Right, yeah. right. or in any other city. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you know, you're getting, you're getting out of Uber, getting off the bus, you're just doing pulling up in a whip. Mr. Melvin, Mr. Melvin, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I love it because um, it's about the emotion. It's about how to manage my emotion. 
And how do you, how do you manage emotion without knowing who you are? Most of the time people are telling you who you are. And it's like, I need to find out who I am to become comfortable with who I am. Right. So that was really, you know, my mission when I left grad school, met Wendy when I moved out to LA. And so I wasn't fully in education yet because I had moved out. My cousin um, is Cedric the Entertainer. His, his um, mom who passed and my dad, a brother and sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, it was like my mom, we just were in Vegas. We joked about it, but I left finishing my master's. I had like my thesis left in statistics and he was like, Hey man, I got this show. You should just come out to LA. And I had been in school from preschool to 24 straight, no break from preschool to 24. Wow. I was like, what? If my cousin was in Utah. I would go but since he's out in LA. Sure. I'll go for it. So I left. And, and like I said, I, but I couldn't get away from education. So I played in the Hollywood world with my family for a while while I was still working with Wendy. And I was like, you know what? My mission is this education. So I yeah. left that world and just, you know, been doing this. Yeah, just working with our babies for a while. I love it. I love it. And you are definitely in, I, I don't know, from my experience of you, I feel like that is your purpose work. I know I've said this to you before. When I moved to LA and finding your classes, like they were such a place of solace and a place of peace. And it was so amazing to find a, a black male yoga instructor that was so grounded and connected because when you're in LA and Hollywood, like it's a lot of fluff, but <laughs> it's a lot of posing and posturing. And so to find a space that felt safe and grounded, like you are truly one of the teachers that inspired me. I had another amazing teacher in Chicago, uh, Monica Bright, but between you and Monica Bright, you both really inspired me to transition from, well, I'm still a yoga student, but to train to become a yoga teacher as well i know when i found out i was so excited yeah you know it's it's, it's important too but it's it's important for our babies you know what i mean and and i and i know i talk old school because now you got social media and you can see anybody that looks like you doing anything that you want to do but in the micro world of the day-to-day world you know it's like they need to see us you know and and know that this wellness is um it's a a 24-7 thing yes you know what I admire about you, and I, and I think I may have shared it with you, but, you know, my mom's been on her lupus journey for 45 years. Yeah. And I always admired her, just, you know, how she just is this, this badass gangster woman, you know, doing her love, doing her purpose work, but still moving through this challenge daily and, and still serving others. And that's where I get it from. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to my album, but my spoken word album, Oxytocin. And I got a, she, my mom opens the album up with a poem. Oh, and, yeah. oh I have not heard. I got to, I have to listen. I will have yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and, and the second, and the second piece is called Mama Frankenstein because she made a pink curse on here. I don't know if it, yeah, it, it, say whatever you want. All right. Well, she made a bad motherfucker in me, man, you know, cause I'm able to, um, just really, be in any situation, you know, any race, any background, any economic, you know, situation. And, 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 and people, they, they feel my light, you know, they let me be part of, you know, let me be part of their story. Yeah. And let me show them. And I work at a school called ISEF, um, Inner City Education Foundation. And uh, they have first brought me in because there was a fight between the girls at uh, ISEF, which is on Crenshaw and Slauson 
So I worked with the young girls because they had got, you know, taken out of school for a week. And then when that contract had ended, Nipsey had just, he got killed like that next week. And so they were like, you know, we got this amazing mindfulness program that we were about to start called Embrace the Mind. And this this cold sister named um, Dr. Woolridge now, she developed the, the mindfulness program for this school. And it was just wild timing how the universe, and I've always been in Lamar Park, I've always been in South LA, but that it put me right there at that time. And, and, and just to work with our babies. And, and it was so eye opening because when the high school kids, you know, they change classes during break, they see every day, like with their eyesight, where Nipsey got killed. Right. And, and trip off of that, like not only are you in a killing field, but you see it. And usually the only way to deal with it is to numb out. You know, and 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 that's what we all do to a certain extent. Right. Our face every day. It's like okay, if I'm keeping it in my face every day. I'm still going to try to find a way to go around it. There's no way to go around it. You got to go through it. Absolutely. You know, so it's um, that was incredible experience, and um, and with Wendy School, it was crazy because when Nipsey had gotten killed, we dedicated our summer to him because a lot of the children live in his community, knew him, you know, six years of separation. And yeah. I told him that summer, I said, listen, I need you all to write these poems as if Nipsey's mother was going to be at the show, mm-hmm. you know? And we put on an amazing show and Nipsey's mother was at the show. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. And she whispered in my ear, she's like, keep doing this. You know, they're going to try to kill you, but keep doing this. She's so intense. Uh-huh. You know, the real, you know, almost like I never met Tupac's mom, but almost in that same energy, you know, like we doing the work knowing that they don't want us to do the work. Right. Right. And, um, you know, so yeah, man. Uh, that's tough. Nip was such a, a loss for the world. Um, truly he was. And it's, it's wild that those, the students that you mentioned that they are right outside of where the marathon continues is, so they had a, a daily vision also of what Nip's ultimate goal was, to, was to buy the block and to, to pour back into that community. And so that just the 180 of that, the complete tragedy to now see the site that was his ultimate demise. I know, I know that is crushing and so, so difficult to, to deal with and process. And we don't really, give our children the tools to process the full range of emotions that we experience as these wonderful human beings that we are. I had um, an amazing, wonderful opportunity this summer to teach at um, the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And similar to the program that you mentioned before, they have a program for first-time college students. It's actually like a prep program for the high school students before they get to college. And they gave me free range to create whatever curriculum I wanted. And so knowing what we've all been through these past 18 months and what these children have been through these past 18 months, transitioning to online learning and losing connection with their social networks, I decided to do an emotional intelligence program rooted in yoga and conversation. And so every single day that we meet, I choose a different emotion. And we talk about the full range of emotions. What makes you unhappy? What makes you feel powerful? Today, we talked about balance. And just to really get them to think, like our emotions are constantly changing and shifting. And 
where is that center and groundedness within you so that you are not swayed by everything that happens in life and so that you have that awareness of if something is off within me, what's a tool that I can use to to come back to that state of being present? And so it's been it's been an amazing, amazing experience. And honestly, I was inspired by seeing the work that you do, all the images that you share on Instagram and the ways that you work um, with your students. So I took a, some little nuggets from you and was able to apply that with my class. And and it's like, I'm so, I'm so amazed at the response <laughs> that I'm getting from the students. Like they're actively engaged, they're talking and it's like, yes, this is what I wanted. If you all never practice yoga again, that's totally fine. But just keep this awareness of yourself and your emotions and your feelings. And I, I appreciate you telling me you take nuggets and stuff, but all this stuff is just like, for me, I don't know how I do it. it, it it's really just vessel through me. And I even tried to get back to like, hey, when are you going to start teaching adults again? But I became so jaded with teaching adults, teaching with children, mm. because it's almost like a farmer. And it could be my own ego. But if I'm a farmer and I go to this farm, and I'm like, man, this field has been tilled. It's been it's been worked on. I don't really know if I can really add to it. And that's how I started to feel working with adults, you know, because it became more of trying to manage the energy I was taking in versus what I was giving out. Ooh, interesting. And because like you say, well, we, you know, LA, really everywhere, but especially with the yoga thing, even with spoken word, like I started to move away from it once it became hip and popular. Yeah. And back when I first started doing yoga, it was hard to, you know, first get a gig as a black man. You know, I mean, I was able to get into situations easier because of my background working with kids. But what I realized was that as it became popular, I just became jaded. It wasn't about the yoga. It was about the business of yoga. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's a business. I, I, I live off of it, you know, so I get it. But there's no such thing as perpetual growth in life. You know, that's why I think surfing is so important. Like you said, just try it once because there's always going to be a wave. You're going to crest and hopefully get to a high point, but you're guaranteed to crash. And all we're going to do is crest and crash, crest and crash. But we're always excited to catch that next wave. Yeah. And and, and that's what I want the youth to realize is that, you know, you're going to fall. You're going to grieve. You're going to be sad. You're going to have thoughts of, you know, not wanting to be here on the planet anymore. I mean, those thoughts are going to come. There's going to be things you don't control that are going to cause grief. But how do I use my breath to move through it? I don't even really enjoy teaching physical yoga anymore. Yeah. You know, just because I've, I work with youth that are paralyzed. I've worked with blind youth. And everything we have, well, the only thing we all have in common is the breath. Right. You can take away any, you know, and a lot of times we still talk. We talk from an able-bodied state of mind a lot of times when we talk about yoga. And yoga is one thing where you don't, if you just focus on the breath, it's literally one gift you can get to anybody on the planet if they're still alive. And and that's where, like, my evolution now, and, you know, that's even the interesting business-wise. You know, I still use the term yoga because it gets me contracts, you know. Sure. My, <laughs> my, but, you know, it's really the prana. I want people to learn how to control their breath. Yes. That's what makes us make the decisions. The body is just a vehicle. Once we make the decision, depending on how we can use our body, then we use the body 
to, to act that decision out. So we're putting the breath into the body, almost like a puppet. So if we can control, are, are you still there? Can you hear me? Absolutely, yes. I'm like, so, not in my head yet. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so if you can control the breath, and how am I going to put this breath into this puppet called me today? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to, you know, somebody just curse me out. And if I put my breath and I can balance my breathing, that gives me vision. That gives me say, oh, man, I know I'm all right. But if I'm not come out, I'm going to get arrested or right. I've only got one more time, you know, to get a mark at a juvenile situation before I get moved, you know, and, and then. Most kids, most adults, it's like, damn, if I would have just made a better decision. Right. How how do you make a better decision? It's not by doing a yo, it's not by doing warrior one, warrior two, warrior three. You know, it's about that breath. Mm-hmm. How do we use our breath in that decision? So that's really what I'm excited about with this new journey right now is really just moving away from the body just into the breath, you know. Um, so I just think that's everything, man. I agree. The power is in the breath. That's where the, that's where you're most present with that breath. And that's where the power right. is. Yeah, it's not in the poses at all. I love that. I love that. And the poses are cool. I mean, I, I get it, you know, but I just, my thing is most things that are material based are created to keep our people away from it. Mm. You know, once you start talking about the body, you know, even I, even though it's tons of just beautiful black women doing yoga, you know, I love seeing the pictures. I love all that. Uh, the average black person still close their eyes. They see a white black woman. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't, they don't think it's something that they can do, you know, or they don't think it's any, you know, and it's like, no, it is something. It's something we always have done. We've always done this yoga. Yeah. And, and I just really, the younger I, like I started on, um, I have this place I work called the Urban Farmers um, Learning Center. And these yogis are between two and four. And, you know, I have four-year-olds that can identify their parasympathetic and their sympathetic nervous system. Come on with it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I think that's one of the most beautiful things about working with young people, particularly preschool yoga, is seeing the world through their eyes. It's really interesting when you're not exposed to that stuff and you're just curious and they're just wide eyed and they just want to know and they want to learn and they want to absorb. It's a, I miss my preschool yoga classes. I've not taught uh, the little ones since uh, prior to the, to the Panini Express, but um, it's such a unique experience of seeing the world through their eyes. It is. It keeps me young. Silly. It's almost like playtime when you teach preschool yoga. (laughs) Yeah. I want to circle back a little bit to your art. Touched it on your new album that you have out right now. I would love to know like, what inspires you to create your art and how does that artwork help facilitate your healing? And you mean artwork, you mean the poetry, like the spoken yes. word? Yeah, your spoken and, word. Yeah. You know, um, my parents got divorced when I was 14. So that was that life moment that I didn't control that affected my emotions. I became a character. Mm-hmm. I became this angry young kid. And, you know, once again, my mom always had the foresight and the blessful access to be like, okay, let me give him a place to talk. You know, so that's when I learned how to write, get my emotions out. And then um, that was like from 14 to 18. And really high school was a blur in a way because I was so angry. 
and I was so mad that I was here, that I had to leave my dad. I was mad at my mom, but the writing was always there for me. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I went to college, I continued to write and I met some cats that did music and we just, you know, formed like small little bands and we, you know, just start performing. Yeah. And it just felt so good because I always tell people, people are always like, man, you know, you, wow, you're, you're so courageous. You're so open when you speak. And I'm like, well, if you literally just take two hours and go on Spotify and listen to all three of my albums, you'll know everything I've been through. Like I'm pretty transparent because I'm so selfish. I just use it for healing, mm-hmm. you know, like even moving through, um, now, you know, my daughter lives in Arizona now and, and that situation hasn't been how I visualized it. So I had to use my work to get through it. And that led me start to make my own music, you know? So the last two albums, I've been making my own music. And this last project that I released on Father's Day weekend, it's called oxytocin. And, you know, that's the love, you know, that's that touch, yeah. you know, that's that hormone. And I just really want to talk about love because the last two albums I used to get emotions out. But I was like, I want to talk about love. I want to talk about all eros, agape, feeling, all forms of love. Yes. And I reached with my mom and that was just the timing was crazy. And I was like, you know, I need you, I need you to lead this album off. And yeah, it's just been, um, and I think too, because for some weird reason, I have these fairy tales of how I thought my life should be. And I've never lived any of them, but I can write about it. So that has been um, interesting. You yeah. know, so if I can't live it, like there's a song in there called Quarantine Kiss. And my friend's like, ooh, who's that woman? Ooh. <laughs> I didn't see you doing no posting online. Oh, was you like you weren't doing none of this posting during quarantine? I was like, yeah, because it wasn't. It didn't happen. But <laughs> it happened to me, you know. But it, it it was that vision of love. It was that vision of of what would it be like, you yeah. know, to have full connection with someone else? But that connection sometimes is your higher and lower self. Yeah, your masculine and. And I was just like, I just feel like so in love with myself right now. Mm. And not that like I'm feeling myself, but learning how to, to really give more self-care. Yeah. I've, been one, really, I've never been in a relationship where it was reciprocal. Mm. You know, I've always, you know, been a giver at such a high level. Yeah. And, and it was just like, man, I, I can't give anymore unless it's, it's being given at that level. Mm-hmm. And I reconnect with my mom and I was like, oh shit, I see why motherfuckers are mama boys. <laughs> I used to make fun of mama boys because I left the crib at 17, 18, haven't been back. Yeah. I've been, you know, man, self-made, man-made, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. I get that now because it feels so good to have my mama back in my day-to-day life. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to become a mama's boy late in life. <laughs> <laughs> Like, damn, you got a basement. I just move in it just to make sure my mom was close. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that love from a mama. I feel you. Nothing like it, but it but it made me realize it's like this is this is how I'm supposed to be loved by me. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is how I'm supposed to be loved by another woman. You know, and I had went into it um trying to change people. You know, and I realized that with the work we do, 
is that like I, I, I've never called myself a healer. Like people have called me that. I've never called myself that at all. Mm-hmm. I try to provide tools for people to self heal. Yes. You know, because what would happen when I was teaching in public was it would really mess with my ego, you know, and I would have to fight to be present because I would go to classes and they'd be packed. People waiting around the corner to get in and it had nothing to do with what I was teaching. It was because it was, oh, this is a place to be. My girlfriend told me to come because we love you. She loved your voice. And she told me, I just need to come hear you talk. I was like, what? Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Let me, let me figure out how to, you know, and I, and I left that Hollywood world because of that energy. Yeah. So it's almost like a working with you, you know, that energy's not there. You know, they're so open to learning. Right. So it's open. Sponges. Yeah, sponges. And they want to take it in. And yeah, I'm just, man, I can't wait to get back in person. Mm-hmm. Soon come, soon come. Oh my goodness, August 18th. Oh, okay. It really is around the corner for you. Yeah, literally start back. I have six two to four year olds starting at this little learning center. And the woman is so amazing that, you know, they have a garden back, they have roosters, they have a lake at the base. And it's right off of um, Obama and La Brea. Okay. You know, right in the community. And all those children following the Baldwin Hills. That is like amazing. Yeah. yeah so. They need that in their life, too. That's going to be so great. Oh, come on. It's going to be incredible. I love it's, it. Because, I mean, you have emotions as soon as we come out the womb. You know, so the quicker we can just start showing them how to manage those emotions. You know. They check me. Like, I'll go another day. Hey, Miss Miller, are you okay? You need to check in. And I had had a bad morning that day. And I had a little four-year-old, Edison. Hey, Miss Miller, I think you need to check in first. <laughs> like, why? Oh, you just look a little sad. I was like, what? He didn't read my posture. Uh-huh. He didn't listen to my breath. And be like, something wrong with him. Right. You're- and, and well, then so we learn how to be, not to cut you up, but it's like literally what you're teaching them. When we learn how to be more aware of ourselves and my, our emotions, we're able to see that in other people because all the relationships we have, it's just a mirror for us. That's it. So that is so beautiful. The babies was picking up on it. Like, you need to check in first, Mr. Melvin. You said, talk to us. Come on, <laughs> come on. right, 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 right. Yeah, you don't, you used to breathing ball. Then what do I do? I take the time and I use it. <laughs> I almost feel like five to seven minutes of the class up checking in. I was like, Cause, but that's the thing. If someone is, that's why I said, don't ask me unless you really want to listen. Right. You know, don't, don't ask me how I'm doing. And that's why I show, I, I guide people through that too. Know when people are really don't want to listen mm-hmm. and, and let them be, you don't have to share with everybody. Right. Everybody's not going to be part of your healing journey. Right. You know, or support or want you to be healed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And that's when you know you need to set up a nice, healthy boundary for yourself. <laughs> Ooh, come on. Come on. You know, that's it. That's it. You, and that's the thing, once again, working with youth. If I tell if I tell a whole group of second graders, don't go into that house because there's snakes and there's spiders and you'll get bit. I guarantee you, none of them are going to go on it. Maybe one because they're curious, right? They don't maybe don't believe me. but. I can remember when I was doing, you know, a lot of private, a lot of my clientele would pick up in the holidays. 
And I started to realize is that people were preparing to go into the house that had the snake and the spider. Yeah. But they already knew that they would get bit because mm-hmm. they had got bitten when they were forced to be in the house with the snake and the spider. Mm-hmm. Now they're choosing to go back into the house and they don't have to. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess that was part of my um, impatience and dealing with adults because I was like, listen, I've been working with you for three years and you didn't go on to this Thanksgiving dinner three years in a row and you get and you have three weeks of drinking afterwards. You know, I can't really work with you. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you, you just think you deserve this pain. And like you can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. Like it does right. at all. Right. But most people aren't really trying to do the work, you know, right. and that's, they're just trying to show that they're part of the scene. And I think that becomes some of the downfall with social media. Yeah. Some of it. All of it, you know, and it's, you know, yeah. And, and people thinking like, we don't need it as much as, you know, it provides. There was a life before it, you know, right. There was connection before it. Absolutely. There, 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 yeah. Real there was connection. connection. Real connection. Real, real connection. And, you know, I'm finding out when I teach this junior high, it's hard to stimulate them. It is. It's hard, it's hard to get that dopamine engage. because, right, you've got amazing video people that are manipulating their minds and giving them the highest level of dopamine. And now here I come trying to give them this yoga. So. I'm trying to play in their world now. Like, how can I develop these apps and these things that can play in their world? Mm-hmm. But but be but at the same time be a wellness tool. I love it. Well, I know we can go on, but I don't want to keep you for too much longer. We have on. one final segment of the podcast. Okay. It's called Inside the Omi Studio, and it's a rapid fire questionnaire. There are ten questions on here. Okay. You can just answer them with one word or short phrases and don't think about it too much. Just have fun with it. Okay. So we start with the breath, which I know that's going to be your favorite part. Oh, yeah. Make sure you're nice and comfortable. Okay. And we'll take our collective breath together. So emptying all the air that's currently in your lungs. And together we inhale. Exhale to release. And we start. Describe your personal style in one word. Laid back. What's one thing you wish you can change about the world? Remembering. I wish I could make them remember that we're all connected in some way. Mm-hmm. What brings you joy? Dreaming of having a mate. Mm. What makes you cry? The fact that I don't have a mate. What type of impact do you want to have on this earth? Just reminding people to be silly and not take it serious. What's your favorite thing about being black? That I don't trip off of it anymore. What do you hope for your community? That all we need is us. What do you love most about yourself? I continue to let my heart expand. What's your favorite book? Autobiography of a Yogi. Last question. 
name five music artists that would be on the soundtrack of your life. Cat uh, Stevens, Sade, uh, myself, Deep Red. Oh, man. Two more. Two more, two more. Fella Crute Zombie. Mm-hmm. And um, Michael Franks. Okay. So thank you so much, Yogi thank Melvin, Deep Red, Sophie so Yoga. I so appreciate you. I enjoy connecting with you, feeling your energy, learning from you. Like you are such a light and a joy to know. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Oh, before we go, let the people know where they can find you. Social media, where they can find your albums. All the oh, things. yeah. You can purchase my album at Deep Red, D-E-E-P-R-E-D dot band, B-A-N-D, camp, C-A-M-P dot com. You can go and find me on Spotify, Tidal, Amazon Music, and I go under the name Deep Red, D-E-E-P-R-E-D. And the name of my latest album is called Oxytocin, Oxytocin. And you can find me on Instagram at Spoken Yoga, Facebook, Spoken Yoga, Twitter. All my handles are Spoken Yoga. Awesome. And I will provide all those links so people can find you and they can get directly to the music and find you directly on the socials. Oh, I appreciate you so much for this. Yes. Thank you again. Yo.